Hello and welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby as we count down to the inevitable. Tonight we'll be discussing season six, episode eight, and those adorable, irrepressible Crawley sisters. I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon in Oakland. When you said adorable, I thought you were going to talk about those kids dancing, playing around the graveyard. The next generation Edward Gorey offspring in the friggin' graveyard. We'll we'll get to that British creepiness in the cemetery. Uh, But first, I want to do a couple of very important things. Um, Folks, I really want to thank the people who have already called in with their favorite Downton memories. And we would love to hear from all of you. It's really easy just call in to 609-59-GABBY and uh, you can leave a message with your favorite Danton reminiscence, a question for us, or anything else you want to share about Danton Abbey, and then we will play all of your responses on our special Life After Danton Abbey memorial show, and uh, it's going to be great. But we need you guys to call in, so hoping to hear from you. And just a reminder that there is no podcast next week because there is no real Downton Abbey next week. There's Manners of Downton Abbey, more Manners of Downton Abbey. (laughs) Get your manners together, Downton Abbey. Alistair Bruce has a really good agent. So we've got another show with him. The Downton Abbey series finale is going to be March 6th, and we will be here live tweeting and sobbing through all two hours of it. All right, off we go. The show starts with poor Birdie's cousin dying in Tangiers, probably in the arms of a young Moroccan lad, and suddenly everything is turned upside down, and Birdie is suddenly the Marcus of Hexham. And by the way, the Marcus is under a duke, but outranking an earl who outranks the Viscount. Thank you, I was confused. Who outranks a baron. Right? Oh, yeah. Baron's at the bottom. I would like to say that I thought this was kind of a shitty turn of storyline because all of the power was in Edith's hands that she needs to tell this secret that society has shamed her into believing is the worst thing that she could ever do, have a child out of wedlock, and now she's in love with this man. It's hard enough to tell him. And now we have to flip the tables So now it's not just about love, it's about love, rank, and money. And it took all the power out of her. And then everyone's trying to control her decision. And then it's about, you know, I just hated it. I I just thought it, I thought it tarnished the whole story to me. When we found out Bertie was heir to the Marquis, (laughs) when we found out Bertie was an heir and he was going to become the Marquis and then Edith was going to become the Marchioness, and everyone's faces in the room, like with their own private thoughts of like working through this equation and what this means. I thought that was amazing. I can't tell you how happy I was when, when Edith told them about that. So I don't know. I thought it was absolutely delightful and awesome. I mean, the whole Marigold thing is another story entirely, but the fact that, you know, she's going to be a marchioness, like just like that with, awesomely adorable birdie i'm with Teresa, and i i just didn't interpret it that way i didn't think that that really changed much between edith and birdie um i thought that it was just it changed things for mary and then she you know came in and imploded everything 
It changed I, everything for the parents, too. I mean, I think it changed everything. It changed the complete power dynamic. The power dynamic before was that she had the power and the rank, which was more interesting to me. She still has the power of saying yes or no, which is the only power that matters between the two of them in that moment. I don't think that he's acting any differently towards her at all because he's a Marquis. I think he wants to be with her even more now because he he's cries. terrified. Yeah. I mean, he cries in front of everybody. That's not like a power move. Yeah. He 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 cries and he's scared and he wants her there to help him. He needs her. I don't know. I don't I mean, again, the the Marigold thing throws everything off, obviously, but I think their relationship is a really good one and they're not afraid to be vulnerable with each other and share their, you know, fears and things, except for Marigold. <laughs> Why was he so unsympathetic? Watching it again, it's all about you didn't trust me to tell me. It's like everything in her life tells her to be ashamed of this. It's not going to be easy for her to tell. And it's not just like trusting someone. This is a big deal. And I felt like that whole breakup conversation was kind of bullshit. And I think he should have been more sympathetic. It's not just about she didn't trust him. It's like, you know, this is the worst thing she could do second to killing someone. I think she'll, I think he'll come around though. I, I think we're going to see him come around on that, on the Christmas special. And it's just one of these things, you know, where it has to go to its lowest point before we can bounce back and be happy with it. But I do see your point about the way that the family reacted. And I think that's just an interesting ongoing theme uh, with both Mary and Edith, where so much of how people perceive them is based off of what's going on with their potential rank and husband. Right. Rather than anything else that's internal to them. And it's been very pronounced with Edith. And it probably felt harsher here because she has actually developed a life outside of Downton and outside of that world. So to be abruptly shoved back and say like, oh, you'd outrank us all. That would be your identity again when not as an editor, not as a successful right. woman, not as a mother. You right. would just be the marchioness. Like that is harsh. And I could see why she wasn't at all excited about it the way that her parents were. No, she's like a self-made woman. And, you know, I definitely think Bertie's going to come around. I think their love story is great. I'm disappointed in Julian that I don't think he needed to do this. I don't think he needed to knock Edith down this much. She had the power in this situation, and then all of a sudden she's outranked by him, and that flips the power struggle. And I just think that I think it was unnecessary, and I like seeing Edith in a different role, and I feel like this just pushed her back into old Edith role. And I thought that was disappointing in Julian to do that. It was also uh, very sad for me to see, and I don't think it was meant to play this way, but it was sad for me to see her later at the magazine pretending like it wasn't that big of a deal and she had right. kind of bounced back and was just going to go to work and pretend like everything's fine. Uh, that was actually sadder to me than if she had been, you know, taken to her bed or something. Like, because now she's just accepting that that's her lot in life to have this kind of shit happen mm -hmm. to her. Right, when we've seen her succeed and overcome and kind of love herself again. I think that, that the problem with Edith is that she's been knocked down so many times and she has such low self-esteem and she just doesn't really trust anyone, least of all anyone that says that they love her, that she just wasn't 
able to do it. And, you know, she had this amazing opportunity uh, at night when he was just like, well, he basically asked for a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, but, you know, you she's, guys. <laughs> they always have these double entendre conversations. I, just, I think you're hilarious. reading a little too much. I don't that, know. But... <laughs> Seems like a handy to me. <laughs> Anyway, um, you know, she says, I've been in love before. I won't pretend that I haven't. I'm not as simple as I used to be. And he's just like, cool. You know, <laughs> like we've talked about this before. He doesn't seem to have any problem with her living in an apartment and running a magazine of someone who he, he may well assume was her former lover. He has to. He has to have figured that out. I mean, maybe he's just like kind of slow. I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't know. He has, still hasn't figured out his cousin is gay, of course. <laughs> yeah. I hope that as we're seeing these little details of Edith having a potential friend at the magazine, that that will maybe help her to have some of the self-esteem that she needs. I mean, it's a little late in the game to be developing this, but like most women I know, that is where so much of their self-identity and self-esteem comes from well before romance is from your friends. So the fact that she never had that, it's no surprise that she's damaged. Yeah, the closest female relationship in her life is her sister who is, you know, evil and tears her down at any second she can. That scene in the um, breakfast room, you know, where Mary comes in Mm -hmm. and she's just sort of staring at the wall. And I was thinking that she was like a a hand grenade whose pin had been pulled out, you know, and you're just like Mm -hmm. waiting for the explosion. Oh, she was going full pig's blood. I mean, it was just like... It's a great scene. Uh, honestly, it was. Yeah. And she is a very consistent character in this infuriating way. Well, we finally got the bitch showdown we have waited six seasons for, and it was just as juicy as I always imagined it. Yeah, that scene was amazing. Mary couldn't get a word in edgewise. Edith just kept cutting her off and calling her a bitch. It <laughs> was so good. I just kept thinking about Regina George this whole episode because Mary was just such a queen bee mean girl bitch and neither Tom nor Edith were buying her bullshit. Like I love that Mary comes in and she's like, but no, I didn't mean to. She's like, "Uh uh-uh, nobody knows you better than me and you are a bitch. And I was like, yes, Julian, you finally gave us what we've been waiting for. And I guess the the bookend to that scene was the... uh... What are we calling it? The Sybil conversation where Edith comes in and is a real class act, I think. Absolutely. And makes peace with Mary because she thinks it's important that they get along. And, you know, when she was talking about how only they will remember Sybil at some point and remember their mother and father and granny and Carson, I, I got so weepy. I really felt like they were talking about the series. Mm-hmm. In the future, when we think back on all these people. Oh. Well, I love that she assumes Tom's dead. You know, I guess already back then men were living shorter than <laughs> than women because they were so unhealthy. Oh, it was it was really, really sad. I, I really took it as a metaphor for the whole series and it coming to an end and people were looking back on. Remember, remember that show? <laughs> they had Carson on it and Lord Grantham. I'm not crying. I do have to say, I think Tom's a better mediator than Sybil ever was. I think he's the best middle Crawley sister. Okay, I'm sorry. He's like Mr. Clippy. 
Okay, he's just like popping up everywhere, saying the exact same thing. But he's the first person that called her a bully to her face. Yeah, I'm Mr. Clippy. You look like you're a bully. I think you should marry Henry. <laughs> do you need help marrying Henry? <laughs> yeah, Tom has had so little to do since his character came back in an emotional triumph and now has been just totally wasted. It actually makes me glad that Rose hasn't also come back because then it would probably just be the two of them doing the same thing. I mean, I have to say the whole Edith and Bertie storyline was really, I think, very, very well done. In contrast to the Mary Henry storyline, which I thought was was very weak and completely implausible as always. You didn't like it when he said, I'm going to make this as difficult and horrible for you? (laughs) Was he talking to me? What kind of line is that? That was just really bizarre and like, are you going to murder her? Like, what's happening? And then he brought a marriage license? Like, how (laughs) presumptuous. I know. I'm sorry. It's so weird and stalkerish. I don't know. You know, I'm like a huge Mary supporter. And I do. I mean, obviously, she's awful here. But like, overall, I sympathize with her. But this was like the marriage of sociopaths on this episode after both of their behavior. I was just like, what you know, when inevitably we find out that she's pregnant in the finale or whatever, like what kind of demon spawn is that gonna be? It's going to be gorgeous, Demon Spawn. It's going to be Damien. I mean, I just, it was so weird. The dynamic was very, very strange. The whole time, the underlying thing is that she doesn't want her husband to die in a fiery car crash again. But meanwhile, we have to listen to all of this conversation over and over again about she's a snob and she doesn't know what she wants and this and that. She had me pretty fucking convinced that she did not want Henry and everybody needed to back the fuck off. And then five minutes later, she's like, no, you're right. I should marry him. I'm, it was this, this episode had a lot of whiplash, tonal, weird stuff going on. It's a shame because really the scene of her and Isabel at Matthew's grave was so beautiful. And I would have loved to see that her transitioning into the future finally for real if I had bought any of the stuff building up to it. That scene was beautiful. I really loved it. And I loved having Isabel there. And again, the way that scene was shot was beautiful. Mary finishes talking to Matthew and you see the the rack focus to Isabel in the background, you know, and there she is just standing there quietly. It was all, it was really nicely done. I do have a, a feeling that Mary's uh, feelings towards Henry uh, develop as her costuming basically disintegrates. <laughs> It was like, so wait, bad. Hey. Like, what the fuck? She's, the, she's got these fabulous evening gowns. Again, what was it? Like a dark green sequin dress with dark green evening gloves and the sparkly headband game. I haven't seen it so strong in so many episodes. And then she's wearing some kind of like granny frilly shirt with this Ooh, mealy mouth sweater to when she like gets engaged. And she'd had her hair in curlers or something. Oh, for the wedding? Oh my god, she looked like Daisy on her wedding day. I'm sorry. She totally did. That's exactly what she looked like. (laughs) Right? It was so bad. That was the ugliest wedding dress I may have ever seen. (laughs) It was horrible. And it was just like... She's such a beautiful woman. It takes a lot to make her look bad. I mean, props to Edith for saying you look nice. But... (laughs) Right. I mean, that was definitely taking the high road on that one. Sometimes there's great pleasure in telling someone you dislike they look nice when they look shitty. (laughs) True. (laughs) 
Oh, so, okay, so he's got the marriage license and his uncle is a bishop, like, whatever. I don't know. He seems turned on by her meanness, so I think they're going to be the type that, like, have these crazy fights and then fuck like crazy. So, well, let's just give props to Granny for coming in and getting to the bottom of everything, as she usually does. And Well, yeah, uh, it's interesting because this is the second time that a Crawley sister has been in crisis, and... It's Granny who comes in and solves it, not Cora. And I can see why Cora's threatened by her. You know, Edith with the baby and now Mary with Henry. No one's having these conversations with their actual mom. I was actually very surprised to see Cora and Edith at the beginning of the episode having an actual conversation about something. Because it's so rare to actually see a scene like that, that it really stood out for me. I mean, what did you guys think of Granny's declaration about love? She believes in love. She was boning down with Igor. Of course she believes in love. <laughs> I think it was a, a little too sentimental for the character, but it was also fitting for the story itself. It was what Mary needed to hear. And I think we've seen an evolution in Violet over the time, right? In her opening up to her friendship with Isabel and things like that. Thinking more and being more honest about her own past. So I, I went with it, even though it was probably a little much. I mean, I, I feel that Granny does think you should marry for strategy. <laughs> but maybe she sees that that didn't work out so well the first time. Well, so I guess they're hitched. And I, I don't know, is he going to give up driving? He already offered to, didn't he? Didn't he already tell her that he would give up driving? I don't think his heart's going to be in it after Charlie. Like, he didn't seem so enthusiastic about it anymore I don't know yeah I don't I don't think he is enthusiastic about it anymore so I think it I think that problem solved itself in a fiery crash well let's talk about another near death sure uh you know how I felt I was all caps screaming at Julian on the Twitter machine last night all uh, I could think of was you Brandy I could hear you screaming across these great United States <laughs> I could hear you screaming. Oh, like I knew, I knew he was building to that all season. But still, I mean, I'm glad Thomas survived. But but now what? Like, is he really going to get to be happy? Is getting to stay at Downton now happiness for this character? Because fuck that. Oh, you can just stay here and you'll get to be the butler someday and you can suppress your real self forever. Doesn't that sound great? Don't you think Mary would be okay with him being gay? Well, I think everybody knows, but yeah, it's okay for you to be gay, but it's not okay for you to be, you know, gay in people's faces. Like, he's never going to be able to act on it. But also, he's just really evil, you guys. I mean, he's done a lot of terrible things. But not in a while. It's been a long time. He's trying to redeem himself. Is he? I think so. I think he's been trying to redeem himself all season. Mary tried to redeem herself for two minutes and she got a marriage. I mean, he could get something. Yeah, I mean, he's been great with the kids and I guess that counts for a lot. And I don't think he was ever as evil as people thought he was. Like, O'Brien was the one who did all the really bad shit. All he did was, like, ask Daisy to the fair when William wanted to take her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) O'Brien's the one who's you know, kicking canes out from baits and <laughs> trying to kill, like, unborn babies and stuff. Thomas was just there trying to, like, you know, get to be a valet. He just wanted to be a valet. He did just want to be a valet. <laughs> well, he, he stole Isis and then lost her in the woods. 
Yeah, that was ill-conceived, but he wasn't trying to, like, kill the dog. That was also, like, two seasons ago. I mean, I feel like he's been really good, and he's kind of tried to make friends, but he's not very good at making friends, and, I mean, I just feel like, how much longer are we going to watch this character be punished? I know. He changed during the war when he made friends with Sybil, and that was in season two. So, like, let's get something good to happen for him. Well, I think he's going to end up either with Mary and, you know, because Carson's probably going to die soon. Let's get serious. (laughs) He's going to have a stroke. He's going to have a stroke. (laughs) Um, So either he'll, you know, stay on with Mary, who Mary seems to like him, and of course her ghost child loves him. He's mm-hmm. cute. Master Barrow, he is an orange. Oh, he looks like children of the corn. He's yeah. not that cute. Yeah, that kid is crazy. Um, or he's going to go with Bertie and Edith to their new palace. And Bertie doesn't care if he's gay because he'll never notice. That's true. <laughs> a quick, quick question, just off topic for a second. If Edith becomes the Marchioness of Hexham, do they have to move up there? And what happens to the magazine? I don't know where Hexham is. It's north. I think this is where really the concept of can she have it all comes into play. <laughs> yeah, can she have it all? It's it's in like it's it's north of Yorkshire. I know that. Bertie would never make her give up the magazine. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's all I need to know. Well, Mr. Mosley had a very good episode. Yes, across the board, good without any of this up, down, all around. Mosley. Just nailed it. <laughs> he did. He was great. And like that whole scene in the class. Again, this is this is a part of the show that's so well written. The whole scene of him with the kids, telling them he was in service, telling them they can grow up to do great things. I just thought it was great. And and he totally earned it. And I was just super happy for him and happy for the sort of quiet dignity that he got out of it. And as long as they don't make him the cricket coach, I think he's going to do great. It was really cute, particularly when everyone was so happy for him back there. And just that exchange, like, I crept in and listened. You never. (laughs) This is like, guys, I want to go to those servants' dinners. They look so fun. Like, imagine just eating good stews with everyone down there. It looks so cozy. Yeah, but you you can't talk unless Carson addresses you directly. Um, fuck that guy. I can't, yeah. I can't even deal. <laughs> Do you think you, that you're going to feel guilty, Shannon, if and probably when he does keel over in the Christmas special? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll go, Elsie's free! She's free! Well, we know that she and Mrs. Patmore are hetero life mates anyway. Oh so. my god. I mean, she wasn't afraid of that house of ill repute. She just went in there and turned that shit around. Oh, I loved everyone just not being able to contain their laughter about this. <laughs> it was really hard to have an affair back in the day. Gosh. If you're not going to go to a and b where are you going to go? You guys, I have their commercial written for them. Welcome to Barrel's International House of Ill Repute and Jams. Join us for drinks and dinner at our four-star restaurant, The Adulterer's Table. I love it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a great, that would be a great name for a restaurant, The Adulterer's Table. <laughs> I love how the Crawleys are like, of course we'll go to the cottage. I mean, she's supported our house and we're going to support her in her investment. It's like, yeah, bitch, you didn't give her a 401k, so you better go have tea at the cottage or she's going to be working here until she dies. I thought it was great that it was like a Crawley caper. I thought yeah. it was fantastic. I know. I do love the little caper side storylines. And 
you know, just let's just throw on a couple more unrealistic things about the Crawleys supporting their <laughs> staff, like their family. I mean, you know, Mrs. Patmore would have been blind in season one if not for them and everything else. So, sure, let's bookend it. I think Rosamond just wanted to go see the house where the adultery happened. Rosamond is just always bored, so she's ready for anything. I think Rosamond is our kind of woman. You know, she's always <laughs> causing trouble. She's always poking at Robert. You know, I love their little back and forth. Like, you can totally imagine them as siblings, like, fighting over mm-hmm. toys and stuff. Oh, yeah. They're great. Somebody, um, t- today somebody posted on Twitter that originally her character was supposed to have two kids, which which I thought was really interesting. It's in the Downton Wikia, um, and we were, we were sort of discussing why they may have scratched that and whether her kids would have inherited, but I don't think they would have, so that wouldn't have been an issue. Probably budget cuts, which is why we've never seen Mary have friends or never really seen her, like, out on the dating scene. I mean, there's got to be a small pool of these eligible men. I kind of wish we got to see her date more to understand that really Henry's it. He's, like, the last one she can possibly like. Although he's a great housewife, he has the right clothes, he has his dinner jacket, and he does the right hobbies, he knows how to shoot, so... He will look nicely in the parlor. I love that Granny made a point of saying he knows how to shoot as like one of his good selling points. So really, um, we've come to the absolute best part of this episode. Cassandra Jones. Call me Cassandra. Oh, Sprat. The gift that keeps on giving. Like, I just, it was just so funny. I did it wasn't stamps all along. It wasn't stamps. I think he still likes his stamps, but <laughs> he also knows what everyone should do with their life. And he's just sharing that wisdom. Wait, Brandy, you haven't done a fan fiction yet. <laughs> and I think maybe you should write some sample Cassandra Jones. Oh, that would be entries. really funny. I think you could really nail it. Maybe we could ask our viewers to tweet us what question they would ask Cassandra Jones and Brandy will write as Cassandra Jones. The That's a great idea. All right, everybody, tweet us or Facebook us with your questions for Cassandra Jones and we will have our own faux Septimus Sprat answer them for you. Channel the spirit of Cassandra through the spirit of Septimus into me. I know I know that Edith was kind of putting on a brave face and acting like it was no big deal, but I did like her at the office with her editor friend and you know they're going to go for drinks after work and dish about guys and what jerks they are and how awful families are. Yeah, can I get hired there? I mean, it's like only ladies that seem to work there, smoking cigarettes or obviously having martinis at 4. <laughs> Gabbing about boys, making a magazine. It's like I mean, Katherine Heigl wished she could have had that job and then all of her movies. We could we could remake that movie as 27 Frocks, maybe. I, I keep forgetting what her name is, but the editor friend is great. And I still feel like maybe we should be trying to get her and Tom together, right? Yeah. Like it, didn't, it didn't work out at the race because of the fiery death and everything. But it's a real boner killer on a first date. <laughs> but maybe, like, we could see them again. If people are palling around in the Christmas special. I would like to see something happen for Tom instead of him just being an honorary Crawley sister slash 
what do you call him, Mr. Uppity, just telling everybody what to do? No, Mr. Clippy from Microsoft. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Clippy. Yeah. You know the thing that pops up and says, I see you're trying to write a letter. Yeah. That's totally him. Yeah. So predictions for the finale? Well, I think Anna's going to have her baby. That baby has to commit murder. <laughs> right, right. Baby goes that. on trial. Baby's in a jail musical. Baby is acquitted of the murder charges. There is, to my mind, a 100% chance that this will be a full sitcom birth. And she'll be, like, stuck in the car in the mud or something. And Bates will have to, you know, deliver the, his own child or something. There's no way that they're just going to, like, happily go down to the hospital and then return with a baby. No, I also think Mary's going to be pregnant. And maybe Rose is going to show up with a baby. I think it's going to be very baby heavy. I'm sure Rose is coming. Come on, you guys. Don't we think that Edith and Bertie are going to get together in the end? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm anticipating a lot of happiness, being disgruntled about whatever happens with Thomas, and possibly Carson dying. That's what <laughs> Which is happiness. Yeah. The happiness, get him out of the way, kill him off. Great. Then Mrs. Hughes and Mrs. Patmore move into their B&B, run the best B&B. Maybe they start a B&B empire, hook up with Daisy, who's got her jam empire. Oh, wait, no, but Mrs. Patmore is going to be married to Mr. Mason. Hmm. Chink in the plan. Well. Yeah, that kind of fell away in the last couple of episodes, too. I think we're going to see him again and, you know, oh, Andy, Andy and all of them down at the farm. I mean, is this going to be a six feet under style ending where we see everybody like flash forward to what happens to them? Oh, that would be so awesome, but you know, they're not going to because they're not going to give away the story in case there's a movie. Or in case there's a six. movie, but yeah. I would, you know, we, we want our world war two next generation story. I would love to like flash ahead, bring Dan Stevens back to play grown up George in the trenches. <laughs> Finally a good role for Dan Stevens. Poor guy. He finally got that role he was looking for. It's a lead. Oh. <laughs> um, well, what if they did something shocking and killed off Cora? I don't think, you know, look, ultimately, these things, you know, they either end with a funeral or a wedding. And from everything I know about Downton Abbey, it will end with a wedding. I think so, too. I think it's going to end on a high note. I think so, too. Absolutely. I will be surprised if no one dies. I think we'll. I think it'll be both. Even if it's just like you, they get a telegram that like Martha Levinson is dead or something. Like someone will die. Yeah, we haven't seen any of Cora's family this season. I just realized that. We also haven't seen Miss Denker. One can hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did she make it back from France? I would love it if they found her and they just... She had choked on all these stamps, like someone had pushed all these stamps in her throat. And we're like, who could have done that? That Cassandra Jones. Uh, you guys. What about Isabel and Dickie? Are they going to get together? Yes. I think we're hinting at opening that storyline up again here, right? I mean, otherwise, this odious woman would have gone away. Right. That There's going to be some resolution to that. And I'm hoping it's a nice resolution. Maybe Larry will be the death. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I love that we only want dudes to die. All the women can live, but the dudes, let's get some of these guys out of the way. No, I, no come on. If Denker dies, I would be totally fine. Oh, that's true. Denker, out. You guys, I don't understand your, like, intense hatred for her. She hasn't really done that much. She hate her. I mean, we remember Brathgate. Okay, Brandy, maybe you've forgotten. 
but it was funny. <laughs> you guys. I'm just teasing. All right. Well, who's got special plans for the finale? I know I am throwing a little soiree at our house with my most rabid Downton Abbey fans, friends. What kind of tea sandwiches are you making? Well, my friend Melissa is bringing either hobnobs or Cadbury chocolates from the British dessert store. And I am, might be making a Victoria sponge, which <gasps> is the cake they always serve at tea. Yes, and I've seen it on the Great British Baking Show. That's awesome. <laughs> Great British Baking Show, yes. I might make a Victoria sponge. So we're going to have uh, various English sweets and cocktails. That sounds so wonderful. I wish I could fly to New York and be there. That sounds great. Yes, please come to New York and be there. It'll be a small yet rabid group of downtown fans <laughs> in my living room. And that's how we like it. <laughs> that's how we like it. And, of course, I will be live-tweeting the East Coast finale um, and uh, crying into my cocktails. Yes, I will be live-tweeting as well, also crying and probably drinking wine. And that's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to do it with a British accent. The worst one I can do. Oh, I might even post some photos from our soiree. And we would love to see all of your party photos, everybody. If you're having a special Downton Abbey finale party, um, tweet us your photos because we want to see what you're up to. So I've got a One Fabulous Thing for this week. And it is a show that was recommended to us on Facebook by our friend Jennifer Lee Lindsay, uh, a Spanish show called The Time In Between. And it is a 17-episode, high-melodrama, full of gorgeous frocks and spy intrigue that takes place during the Spanish Civil War. And she had suggested it as a post-Downton thing to watch to get through life after Downton Abbey. And it's great. It's great. I loved watching it. I loved looking at the beautiful dresses. I loved all of the intrigue. And part of it is set in Tangiers, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I highly recommend it. It's available on Netflix. It's called The Time In Between. And thank you so much, Jennifer, for recommending it. I'm going to check that out. That sounds good. I am going back to the past for my one fabulous thing. Uh, I had an experience this weekend where I don't know if there's like a classic novel that you know you should read and you've never read it and you finally read it. And it actually lives up to your expectations and then some and you're like this book is incredible and that was me this weekend reading uh Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle holy shit this book is so good <laughs> and like I I don't know it was like a hand came out of the 1950s and dropped this book right when I needed it just perfect gothic lady miss and miss andry just uh most people have probably read it already but i just wanted to like i've never heard i it. have never heard read it. it you guys <laughs> it's short get it we have always lived in the castle it's about um two sisters and their doddering old uncle living in this manor house in new england and we know that the rest of their family died under mysterious circumstances and then you just kind of learn more and more about what happened and how fucking crazy they are <laughs> and then more crazy shit happens and the language is amazing and I, it's just so good and so rarely do you really have that where like you have super high expectations for something that has been recommended to you over and over and over and then it totally lives up to it yeah 
Sounds good. I'm reserving it at my Brooklyn Public Library awesome. right now. Um, all right. Well, you guys picked some really classy choices, and so I'm going to just turn that on its head, and I'm going to recommend Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, <laughs> which I can't say is the best show ever, but you know what? It's really fun, and the second season is really coming together, and it's saying some interesting stuff about female friendship that I don't think I've seen a show say, and I'm really looking forward to the finale this week, and... I could say you could skip the whole first season and just start with the second season if you didn't want to deal with the whole Janine Garofalo being in it and leaving <laughs> the show. Um, but it's a really good show about female friendship. Even though they're kind of like rich women in LA, there's a lot of substance there. So look beyond the Bravo glaze and give it a chance, especially if you don't want to think too hard about a show but still want it to be meaningful. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Downton Gabby. I want to remind you all to please call in and leave a message for us about your favorite Downton Abbey moment. You can ask us a question. You can comment on the show. We would love to hear from you and play your message on our uh, Downton Abbey Memorial podcast coming up uh, in a few weeks. And that's 609-59-GABBY or 609-594-2229. Call us. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to tweet us your questions for Cassandra Jones. Cassandra Jones, a.k.a. Septimus Spratt, a.k.a. Brandy, will be answering all your questions in this season's fanfic extravaganza. So send in those questions on Twitter, Facebook, and um Find us on Twitter at Downton Gabby, on Facebook at Downton Gabby, and on Tumblr, yes, at Downton Gabby. Uh, we're going to be live tweeting the Oscars next Sunday, but we won't have a podcast. And we will see you again in two weeks for the finale. Thanks for listening. Sisters, sisters, there were never such devoted sisters. Never had to have a chaperone, no sir. I'm here to keep my eye on her Caring, sharing Every little thing that we are wearing When a certain gentleman arrived from Rome She wore the dress and I stayed home All kinds of weather we stick together The same in the rain or sun Two different faces, but in tight places We think and we act as one <laughs> Those who've seen us Know that not a thing can come between us